0: All right. Welcome, everybody. Great to see everyone here. Welcome to everybody online. My name is Trevor. I'm one of the pastors here at Community of Hope. I want to give a warm welcome to everybody here at our broadcast location in Loxahatchie. And also, can we just take a moment to welcome everybody who's with us at our East Campus in West Palm Beach? Would you go ahead and welcome them? We're glad that you're here today, too. We want to welcome again everybody who's streaming online and also all of our future Lake Worth partners who are streaming with us this morning too. We're excited for the launch of that campus later on in this year. It's great to be here together with everybody. Now, before we jump into today's message, I want to take a brief moment and mention something that we're celebrating, we're excited about this week. Uh, This week marks our launch of our summer discussion series. We're calling it Who Needs God? Everyone say that. Who needs God? And here, we're really pumped about this. You've heard about this. If you've been coming to Community of Hope, you've heard about this. Four weeks, and we're excited about it. What we do during the summer is we take a few weeks off where most of our small groups take a hiatus. So I was talking to a couple this morning, like, hey, I can't get involved with some small groups. So during the summer, small groups take a brief hiatus. They come back real strong towards the end of August. And one of the things that we do to create space for people to have discussion, to get around tables outside of Sunday morning, is to be able to come to a discussion series. And this year, we're using something called Who Needs God, where it's going to be amazing teaching from Pastor Andy Stanley. He's one of the best preachers on the Face of the earth, and what we're doing is we're gonna have these roundtable discussion places where we're talking about issues and questions that people have about real uh, question marks and stuff where people struggle with faith. So, what we're trying to do is create a safe space. For people to come, deepen their own faith, deepen their own understanding, and create a safe place for you to maybe bring a friend who doesn't go to church, or doesn't have a church home, or maybe has serious intellectual questions about Christianity. We're creating a safe place for them to come and engage. It's going to be great. It starts this week. Now, Kathy Copan, our wonderful Executive Director of Discipleship. Don't we love Kathy here at Community Pub? She's fantastic. She's one of the best in the nation at this stuff. She told me a few things to remind everybody about. Here's the deal remember that just because everyone's out on vacation you don't need to come every single week when you're in town just come you can pop in on any week it's okay if you can't make all the weeks just come uh it helps us if people register but you can't just show up so even if you didn't fill out a form wherever oh, i can't come no 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 just come we'll, we've created a place for you it's going to be great and it starts this week both here in loxahatchee and in west palm beach at both of our campuses you don't want to miss out we're excited about it good Great. Awesome. So let's jump into the message today. Today marks our final message in our series on unity. We've gotten some really great feedback about this from everyone. Um, It's been really helpful for me. The thing I've loved most about the series is that it's named some things that we've gone through as a country, that we've gone through as a culture, and that we've gone through as a church, I think it's been really, really helpful. It's been a relief to me to be able to have conversations about some of these things. So our theme verse, we're going to read it out loud one last time together as a church here in Loxahatchee at the East Campus Online, wherever you're at. I don't know, the beach or Starbucks, wherever you're at right now. We're going to read Ephesians 4, 3 together, one last time. We're going to put it on the screen. Ready? Go. Make every effort to keep the unity of the Spirit through the bond of peace. And see, what we've been talking about in this series is how Jesus' uh, greatest emphasis, especially in the night before he was betrayed and his final prayer, is called the high priestly prayer, was he prayed for unity. He prayed, Father, may they be one as you and I are one, and if they're one, then the world would believe that you sent me, that the whole world would know Jesus is the Son of God if his followers walked in love and unity with each other. See, this unity that Jesus talked about is something that's higher than politics because he preaches a kingdom. It's higher than any political affiliation. The unity that Jesus talks about is better than just people gathering around a circle and singing kumbaya or we are the world or whatever song it is that's lame and cheesy that people want to sing for false unity. It's better than that. Jesus's unity is stronger than simple hallmark cards that just tell people to be nice. It's so much deeper. Then, all of that, I heard Pastor Tony Evans, I read this this week. He said this that Jesus did not come to take sides; he came to take over. Amen. Amen. I heard one of my great one of my great uh, theologians who i 've read he died decades before I was even alive, but he 's a mentor from afar in his writings. Uh, Methodist evangelist E. Stanley Jones used to say, "If you talk about what you believe in, you 'll have disunity. If you talk about who you believe in, you will be unified." We are talking about a unity that is under a person, under the banner of Jesus. And let me tell you today, if you're streaming online, maybe you're here with us or at the East Campus, and you're not yet a follower of Jesus, this is one of the best reasons, one of the best ones, to become a follower of his. Because the church, obviously, has not gotten this perfect, even now in our culture and throughout history. We've messed it up. We've jacked it up. However, 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 the unity that exists and globally and historically in the church of Jesus, in his people, in his kingdom, is the greatest unity and diversity the world has ever seen. Under the banner of the name of Jesus, it brings people together of all genders, of all ages, cultures and languages, nationalities, ethnicities, backgrounds, economic statuses, and calls them all equal under God. If you're longing for equality and you're longing for diversity and unity, you should learn what it means to become a follower of Jesus because it's only possible through him, and it's the greatest that human history has ever seen. Ever seen. And this is what we're talking about now, but not in a broad historical sense, but maybe we can experience it right here, right now, in this room with everybody streaming online, everybody at the East Campus, maybe in our community, and maybe in our culture, and maybe in our nation. Maybe we're daring to hope, daring to believe. And what do you know? We're kind of partial to the idea of hope here at our church. Now I've loved uh, being back at the same campus as pastor Dale. For the past couple weeks, uh, for years, he and I have been like two chickens with our heads cut off, just always missing each other all on Sunday mornings across Palm Beach County. My favorite thing used to be to just come here uh, for some reason, and whenever two of us would be in the same room at the same time, people would panic like one of us forgot to go to the other campus. And so it's been great to be at the same campus with you the past couple weeks, and I've loved watching him. If you weren't here, go watch it on YouTube. He stacked boxes representing all the different topics They're going in our culture, bringing a lot of disunity, a lot of pain, a lot of division. You know, small, lighthearted, non-controversial topics like, oh, everything around COVID, race, politics, sexual identity, freedom. And then a catch-all box for all of our dysfunction and jacked (laughs) upness And I loved it. I loved it. And I just, I kind of said this at the beginning, but I mean this from the bottom of my heart. One of the things I love the most about you is your courage to just name the difficult thing in the room. People need it, and we honor you for that. Thank you. Thank you. Yeah. Now, one of the things Pastor Dale also said uh, was he talked last week in the message, he called it dress code. He was talking about clothes. And he talked about what he wore in the 80s, uh, particularly to what he wore to his wedding rehearsal. He was talking about the drapes, I mean, pants that he wore to his wedding rehearsal. And he was talking to us about how people dressed. Love you. He talked about how people dressed in the 80s. Well, people of my generation, we, we go to 80s costume parties. <laughs> so this is a picture from a couple weeks ago. Some of you met my brother and sister-in-law last week. Um, my sister-in-law's 40th birthday party was a few weeks ago, and it was an 80s surprise party. This is me and my brother from that party. We're going to show it on the screen here in just a sec. Oh! So, so first off, I just want to apologize to everybody who had to put on sunglasses because of my brother's whitey white legs. <laughs> we noticed this in the sound check this morning here, Loxahatchee. Do you notice the woman behind my brother, the look of shock on her face looking at him? I just now saw that this morning. Hey, so, so Dale... That is that what people dressed like in the 80s? Is that what they did? No. No. I'm from the 80s too. I'm from the 80s too. It's all funny games. Now, on a more serious note, on a more serious note, here's what we were talking about with dress code. We are talking about uh, this metaphor that ancient writers including biblical authors used uh, back in antiquity to talk about moral attributes. It just wasn't a Christian thing. Every philosophical writer in the ancient world used this metaphor of clothing, of put on these characteristics. It was a deep metaphor everybody used, and the Apostle Paul also picked this up. And so last week, Pastor Dale was talking to us about moral attributes that we need to put on ourselves for unity to happen. Now, here's what we're going to do. For the rest of our time this morning, we're going to talk about the second half of the work to be done when we're talking about dressing ourselves with moral attributes of a follower of Jesus. So if you haven't already yet, go ahead and open up your COH app, open up your sermon notes or your Bible or however you read it. We can just put on the screen too. That all counts. And we're in Ephesians chapter four. Now notice this is the same chapter as our memory verse we just read. This is the back half of that chapter. And the Apostle has some important things to tell us. He says here, So I tell you this and insist on it in the Lord, that you must no longer live as Gentiles do in the futility of their thinking. They are darkened in their understanding and separated from the life of God because of the ignorance that is in them due to the hardening of their hearts. Having lost all sensitivity, they have given themselves over to sensuality so as to indulge in every kind of impurity, and they are full of greed." That, however, is not the way of life you learned when you heard about Christ and were taught in him accordance with the truth that is in Jesus. You were taught with regard to your former way of life to put off your old self, which is being corrupted by its deceitful desires, to be made new in the attitude of your minds, and to put on the new self, created to be like God in true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, each of you must put off falsehood and speak truthfully to your neighbor, for we are all members of one body. In your anger, do not sin, and do not let the sun go down while you are still angry, and do not give the devil a foothold. Get rid of all bitterness, rage and anger, brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Be kind and compassionate to one another, forgiving each other, just as in Christ, God forgave you. Would you pray with me? Jesus, we thank you that you have called us to become like you. You are not arbitrarily at the right hand of the Father calling us to walk in a certain way morally that you are distant from. The call to follow you is to become like you because you are worthy of our honor and worship and your character is beautiful and we want to be like you. So would you pour out grace in this room. Holy Spirit, we know that you're here. Manifest power and grace here in Loxahatchee, at the East Campus, online, wherever people are watching this. Manifest your presence and your power and your grace now, so that we may learn to be kind and compassionate, forgiving each other, just as you have forgiven us. Come, Holy Spirit. It's in Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. All right, so let's talk just for a moment about what we just read. We always like to do that to talk about the context of what we just read. Ephesians is a book in the New Testament. The Bible is one whole book. It's 66 books that compile one book, and this is one of them. And it was a letter written by the Apostle Paul while he was in prison in Rome, which he did a lot. Um, now, notice here in the writings from what we just read, if you're paying attention and if you're watching this, Paul picks up again the same language to use in Colossians last week. Last week, he said, clothe yourselves and gave a list of moral attributes. But this week, he picks it back up. Anytime you see in Scripture when it says, put on and put off, that is ancient language for clothing. And so he's talking about it over and over again. So this is the main structural relationship in this passage. If you're trying to understand what's happening, you need to pay attention to these two phrases. Put on, put off. Put on, put off. Put on, put off. It will say it in other ways of get rid of, have nothing to do with, have whatever. It talks about this over and over again, but he keeps coming back to this metaphor of clothing. Now, when he keeps saying all these different things of what people should do and all the things that they should be doing, with these moral attributes, the first picture that comes into my mind is actually Joey from Friends. Where's my, where's my, friend, where's my friends, friends' fans at? Where are you at? Okay, watch this here. So no one told you life would be this way? Right there, yeah? You with me? Great. So I was thinking of Joey from Friends, and I was thinking about this one episode where, if you've never seen it before, Chandler steals some of Joey's clothes. And so to retaliate, Joey goes and puts on all of Chandler's clothes. It's a great episode. In fact, if you're a real Friends fan and you watch the reunion that came out a week or two ago, they reenacted this scene with Matt LeBlanc. Look at that. Isn't that great? Super fun. So if you know the line, you could say it with me. Hi, I'm Chandler. Could I be wearing any more clothes? Right? I saw some of you whispering it. Yeah, I'm watching you. I saw It's super funny. Now, I just sweat. Keep that picture of Joey up if you can here, at least in Loxahatchee. Now, I look at that, and I just start to sweat immediately, right? It looks super uncomfortable. Uh, Oh, my goodness. That looks horrible. Now, clearly, Joey needs to put off some clothes. The part of what we're talking about, the Apostle Paul here, and kind of what we can see from Joey It's not enough to always just be adding things and adding things and adding things to your moral character, to your framework, your thought work, to adding things to your heart and to your life. The call to follow Jesus is to put on clothes morally and spiritually and to take off clothes that no longer fit and they actually clash with what Jesus is trying to put on to your heart and to your life. It's like plaid and polka dots, or like some colleges do, blue and orange. It's just ugly and just, it just doesn't fit. I just had to grunt out myself. Okay, some clothes clash. When you become a follower of Jesus, and again, this is one of the reasons, if you have not chosen to follow him yet, maybe you're navigating faith towards him, this is one of the best reasons to follow him. He gives you new ways of living in your heart, in your mind, and how you behave. And it's not try harder. The power of the Holy Spirit inside of you works its way from the inside out into your life. And the new things God wants to do in your life often clashes with the old way that you and I used to do things. And so the call for us today is to examine some of these things that we need to put off from us. If we're going to have real unity, because the clothes and the moral character that Jesus wants to form in people by the power of the Holy Spirit clashes with divisive behavior, divisive attitudes, and divisive hearts. And so we need to have a conversation about that today. Now, let me just say very clearly This is a non-judgmental zone. No one's going to get beat over the head with a Bible today. You know, sermons are rough when the preacher gets convicted himself when he's writing it. So if anybody goes, oof, today, I did that three days ago when I was working on this, okay? So we are all sinners in need of mercy and grace here. We're all in the same boat together. No one's being judged here. But if we're going to have real unity, there's some things we need to put off, right? There's some things we just need to stop it, right? We all agree? Great. Okay, so let's... Jump into this. Let's talk about some of this. Um, if last week, Pastor Dale talked to us, and he's told us that we have to put on, clothe ourselves with compassion, kindness, humility, gentleness, and patience, then this week, we have to put off, first, outrage. We have to put off outrage. Ephesians 4.31 says this, Get rid of all bitterness, rage, and anger, Brawling and slander, along with every form of malice. Um, Ed Stetzer, who is the dean of and leadership, uh, the dean of the ministry and leadership school at Wheaton College, he writes in his book "Christians in the Age of Outrage." He says this: "The age of outrage has succeeded in trapping Christians by wrapping itself in one very appealing lie. My anger is righteous anger." <laughs> And so if you're not yet a follower of Jesus, you get a pass on this. Christians in the room, I'm talking to us. We think, oh, well, what I'm outraged about. Well, because it's righteous, I'm allowed to. Now, let's just be clear. There are things the Bible talks about that Christians should be mad about, that Jesus is mad about, that God is mad about. I get furious thinking about human trafficking. Shouldn't we get angry at something like that for the poor and the marginalized? Yes, we should. Yes. But Ed Stetzer says this. He says, see, here's the key with righteous anger. Righteous anger has to be, wait for it, righteous. (laughs) And oftentimes what we're puffed up thinking that we're allowed to be so angry and outlandish and, and just insulted by things going on in the world today, maybe what you see in the media, maybe by what's going on in our local community here, we think we have the right to be angry when really what you think is righteous anger is really just your outrage, and outrage is a cheap substitute for God's anger. And Paul tells us we need to get rid of it. Um, the angriest I've ever been in my entire life was in the summer of two thousand three. Now I'm not an angry person naturally. I joke like I get really angry about twice a year. Um, it's not because I'm holier. It's just when something happens, I get sad or I get anxious. Other people get angry. It's just temperament. That's how we do it in my house with me and my wife. You. She gets angry, I get anxious. It's just different. It's how we're just wired differently. That made it sound really bad. I didn't mean it like that. My wife does not have an anger problem. I would like to publicly apologize to everybody across the internet and just say I'm sorry. I didn't mean it like that. So, reeling it back in. Okay. The angriest I've ever been, that I've ever been, was in the summer of 2003. And uh, one of my best friends uh, who I had grown up with relapsed into drug addiction and um, and began to burn his life to the ground and tried to burn mine to the ground too. You ever heard the phrase, hurt people, hurt people? Yeah. That's when I learned it. Um, he went and slandered me and turned friends against me. He would call me in the middle of the night, wake me up only to scream and cuss me out in the middle of the night just because. His life was spiraling completely out of control and he was firing at me while he was going down. And I succumbed to deep resentment and bitterness and unforgiveness and hatred. In fact, one day I was driving around with my mom and we were running errands somewhere. I was back home from college for the summer. We were driving around and she mentioned she brought up his name and how she'd ran into him and he had said something unkind to her and it hurt her feelings and I got lit. And my face turned red I started white knuckling the steering wheel and I started yelling about this person in the car with my mom and I started punching as hard as I could the steering wheel in the middle of six lane traffic in Tampa because I was so furious. And it scared my mother. And it was a wake up call for me that I needed help. I needed to do something. And so I began to search the scriptures for help. And he came across this verse here. It's James 1.19. And uh, this broke chains in my life. James says this, My dear brothers and sisters, take note of this. Everyone should be quick to listen, slow to speak, and slow to become angry. And here's the zinger in 20. Because human anger does not produce the righteousness that God desires. It feels good to be angry, doesn't Like If you're angry towards somebody, doesn't it feel good to just seethe on it a little bit? It's a little self-indulgent if we're honest with ourselves. And I had to learn to break my agreement with my outrage because it was not my friend. My outrage was my enemy because it would never make me more like Jesus. It never would. And I had to break my agreement. I had to break up with outrage. And here's the great news that I want to tell you today. This is not stop being angry. Why are you angry? Just stop being angry. I'm here to tell you today that there is power in Jesus's spirit. And in his inspired word that when you begin to describe it on your heart, Jesus himself, by his Holy Spirit, will detox you from anger and from outrage and will drain the poison from your heart. But you have to agree with him that it is not your friend, it's your enemy. And when you begin to disagree with the spirit of the age, which is outrage, major news networks and politicians make millions and billions off of outrage. And if we begin to break our agreement with it, Jesus will suck the poison from your heart and give you a new one instead. We have to put off outrage. If last week, Pastor Dale told us to put on bearing with each other in love, then this week we also need to put off harmful speech. Put off harmful speech. Jesus said this in Matthew 12, 36, But I tell you that everyone will have to give an account on the day of judgment for every empty word they have spoken. Oh boy. (laughs) Luke 12, 3. Jesus said, but what you you have said in the dark will be heard in the daylight. What you have whispered in the ear in the inner rooms will be proclaimed from the rooftops. If I begin to contemplate that one day, every word I have said will be made public. And every word, careless, empty word I have ever uttered in slander of another person or another group of people Will be judged by a holy God. That should put what's called the fear of God in us. And when I was going over my stuff last night, let's just be perfectly clear, everyone. It's not just every word I say, it's every word I type or put through my thumbs. It's every word I speak, every word I text, every word I message, every word I post, every word I publish. Jesus will be the judge of it one day. So let me just say as a pastor, here are some tips for how to not let harmful speech come out of your lips or out of your fingers. Let's not be involved in gossip in any form. It's a partnership vow in our church. We should recommit to it. Amen? Amen. Everybody everybody at East Campus said, amen, us too. We should not be involved in gossip in any way. If somebody comes to you and starts gossiping about somebody else, you should just stop them right there and go, ah, this is probably gossip. I think you should probably talk to that person. We shouldn't talk about this. If you're the one who wants to say it, you should probably imagine that the person you want to talk about is right next to you. And would you still say it the way you would? We should probably never put anything negative in writing ever on social media, on texting, messaging, letters. It's the worst way to handle conflict, and we should just commit to never handling conflict in writing ever because does it ever go well? No. We should uh, we should commit to eliminate incendiary words from our vocabulary, like always, never, and all, because that never helps bring unity when we do that. We need to put off harmful speech. And so here's the last thing. If last week we're told to put on forgiveness, then this week we need to put off our relational rifts with each other. Ephesians 4, 26 and 27 says this. In your anger, do not sin. you notice here what they're saying there? That it's not a sin to feel angry. It's a sin what we do with our anger. In your anger, do not sin. Do not let the sun go down while you are still angry and do not give the devil a foothold which is a military term for like a base. You see, guys, the scriptures teach us. I just want to speak to everybody here in the room. Everybody just feel compelled to talk to everybody online right now. The scriptures speak to us that there are some things that God tells us that we should go slow and some things that we should go fast. And the problem is as followers of Jesus, we get it reversed all the time. We think there are things that we are super slow on that God says, speed up. And there are certain things that we are so fast with that God says, please slow down. We have it backwards in so many different ways in our lives. And the thing is, with people, when you have to offer forgiveness or ask for forgiveness, you should always go fast. This is part of Pastor Dale's mentoring in my life as a young pastor, learning how to do this. I'm non-confrontational by nature, and I put people stuff at the bottom of my to-do list. And God's been challenging me, often through my relationship with Pastor Dale and his mentoring, To be able to, no, 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 no. It goes at the top of the to-do list. Don't let the sun go down while you're angry because it's like giving the devil a base in your backyard and in our church. Don't do it. Have you ever felt the joy, though? Like, let's say you decide to not let the sun go down and you decide to go quick and to talk to somebody and to heal a relational rift. Have you ever experienced the joy of what it's like to get on the other side of division and find unity again? It's wonderful. I want to tell everybody a story. I'm going to invite the band to come on up. I want to show you a picture. And this is one of my lifelong best friends, Brett. Brett and I became friends in middle school on a bus on a youth trip where we talked all night long about Highlander, the TV show. (laughs) There can be only one, baby. If you know, you know. And uh, long story short, uh, Brett and I became, uh, he's just one of my lifelong best friends. We both got called to ministry, both became pastors, both went to Florida State, both went to Asbury Seminary. He's a preacher now out at a wonderful church out in Missouri, and I'm here down in South Florida. When we were at Florida State together, um, he and I had a relational rift and we had accidentally and unintentionally said things that dinged to the other person all of a sudden distance started to be created between us and we didn't deal with things before the sun went down and a foothold got created and a chasm started growing in our relationship where we'd been the closest of friends for years and all of a sudden there was distance with each other and then to make matters worse we actually started to like the same girl even bigger and then it got to be one point in a day when he and I ran across each other. and We yelled at each other for something super small. And Brett said, what are we doing? Let's go get lunch. And we went to Subway in Tallahassee, and there's something anointed in the bread of Subway, apparently. <laughs> and we talked about, hey, when you said this, I'm like, I didn't mean it that way. Oh, my gosh, of course you took it that way. I'm so sorry. And Man, we, did, did you mean this when you did that? Oh, dude, I, no. That was dumb of me. I'm sorry. And we cleared the air, mended our relationship, healed our friendship. Oh, and it was such a relief. And when we were at worship at our college church that night, Brett texted me a verse I'm going to share with you all. And Psalm 133, verse one, it says this here. It says how good and pleasant it is when God's people live together in unity. Oh, it's worth it. But can I share with you verse two? It's a weird Phrasing, but just hang with me for a second. The psalmist says, "Unity is like precious oil poured on the head, running down the, on the beard, running down on Aaron's beard, down the collar of his robe." And every woman in the room and online went ew, and <laughs> and every bearded dude went like, "See, babe, beard oil's in the Bible." <laughs> Hear me. That's a symbol for the anointing of the Holy Spirit coming on a religious community. That's what oil being poured on a priest's head meant in biblical times. It means the power of God has come on our community. The power of God will not come on the church of Jesus and on community of hope. And spiritual awakening will not break out in Palm Beach County, the most unchurched county in America, because we sing louder in worship. It will come. When we become unified, when we are kind and compassionate with each other, forgiving each other as Christ Jesus has forgiven us. When we learn to reconcile with each other, to put off our relational rifts and become one as Jesus and the Father are one. I not only want to enjoy unity, I want the power of the Holy Spirit that comes with unity when a community repents of our divisiveness. And I hope you want it too. And so I want to invite you, if you're able, would you please stand? And all across our campuses here, in Loxahatchee, West Palm Beach, I invite you to stand. And we're going to take a moment of prayer as one church in many locations. I invite you to bow your heads now. I want you to invite God's Spirit to speak to you. And pray this first, Lord, show me what I need to put off. Secondly, Lord, show me who I need to reach out to. Jesus Christ, Son of the living God, make us one as you and the Father are one so that the world may believe you sent, that he sent you. Amen. Jesus, we need your mercy. We are a people who have been divisive. We are a people of unclean lips and unclean lives. Lord, we have added to this. And today we repent before you, the God of mercy, the God who forgives sin, the God who detoxes our hearts from sin. We ask for your mercy. Would you forgive us? so that we may forgive those who we have been divisive against. Lord, we repent of it now and we choose by our own wills and with your power to be the answer to your prayer that we would be one as you and the Father are one. We love you, Lord. It's in Jesus' name we pray and all God's people said, amen. So now may the God of hope fill you with joy and peace as you trust in him so that you may overflow with hope by the power of the Holy Spirit. God bless you. We'll see you next weekend.